Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we'll discuss a different safeguarding topic with a range of expert speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Hello everybody and welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. I'm Vicky Chafe, I'm Head of Community Relations. I have been joined by Tony. Tony, could you introduce yourself for me, please? Yeah, thanks, Vicky. So I'm Tony Dunkley, and I'm the founder of Illustro Consultancy Limited, which is an international training, research support, and educational service to prevent, identify, and deal with modern slavery and human trafficking. Thank you so much. And we've asked you here today to to talk to us about the the global issue of um, modern slavery. So I think that that's probably a really good place for us to start, if that's okay. So what does the term modern slavery encompass? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a good question. We're we're hearing it more and more, um, you know, just in the general public, uh, the awareness of this term is uh, is building, which is great. But when we ask, you know, what does it actually mean? Sometimes people, you know, struggle and quite rightly. So when we think of the term slavery, we often think of, uh, the old chattel slavery where people were um, taken from the Africas to the Americas in large numbers over many years um, and uh, kept in chains. And at that time, and as abhorrent as that sounds to us now, uh, that was through a legal mechanism where people could be legally owned. Um, so slavery, what we think uh, is really at the sort of far end of the continuum of, of slavery, of forced labor of exploitation. So at the extreme end is slavery. And then there are many, many other parts of exploitation that form that as well. And what we do, we use the term modern slavery to encompass all these other different kinds of exploitation that we now uh, recognize as still horrendous forms of exploitation, including slavery at the end. And these can include sexual exploitation, forced labor, servitude, um, criminal exploitation, and many, many other forms of exploitation on that uh, continuum. So modern slavery is what we encompass of the extreme slavery, as well as all the other forms of exploitation. And do you think that when and anybody who's involved in, in, in children or anybody who's involved in, in vulnerable adults, do you think that they are as as clued up maybe as some of the other forms of abuse um i think what will happen as for frontline practitioners for safeguarding professionals teachers frontline with with uh, school age children including parents um is that there i think there'll be a general awareness of um abuse that they will have uh, heard of and the nature of that. So that might be um, probably child sexual abuse they'll have heard of. Um, in some circumstances, unfortunately, there may have been some experience of that uh, by a parent, a teacher or otherwise, where they themselves as children have gone through that. Uh, but when we look at such things as human trafficking, uh, where people are recruited and or children specifically, you know, in the context that you mentioned, Vicky, where they are coerced and groomed, um, targeted because they are children and are vulnerable by nature because of their age and lack of experience. Um, 
then we don't often talk about that, or should I say awareness is not there at the same level for those frontline practitioners um, in schools and parents and family as to how children come to be in a point of exploitation um, rather than just what we may think of either a child um, being locked in a room and abused or someone who is a child who may be abducted and those sort of historical um, types of ways in which children are abused um, are rapidly changing so the the way that they are recruited the means by which and the nature of the abuse um, has changed a lot through mostly technology and otherwise absolutely and as you said that the the guises in in which these children are being targeted have, have changed so considerably and presumably will continue to to change as well Oh, certainly. I think, um, you know, with the advancements of technology, you know, we have or children have um, teenagers um, are now, you know, by the age of five, six, seven, um, are more technologically a fay than, than you or I put together, Vicky. Um, yeah. And it's only by trying to keep up with it. And this is the impossible task for parents and, and everyone else, you know, of a certain age and above. Um the fact is that children now can talk to other people, uh, strangers, uh, on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. And that might seem like um, because of the geographical locational distance that the risks are minimal. And that's simply not true. Um, the way that children can be coerced, groomed, um, trust be built online over a period of time um, and then the child is often as we see in many of the cases we we sort of support or um, train in is that once that trust is built that then these people will uh, ask their children to send intimate pictures of themselves um, and so on and so forth so then that's when the trafficker that's when the groomer has them and they can say to them, look, unless you do X, Y, and Z, I will uh, release these images, send them to your parents, to your school, to your friends. And the shame of that and the embarrassment and the, um, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely a dreadful, awful experience for an adult to have gone through that, let alone a child. Um and this is this is what we're seeing. So when you say, will it change again? I think now the technology is here and is not going anywhere. I'd like to hope, and I know this is true, is that many companies are looking at AI and otherwise, uh, online gaming softwares and such, to try and put in um, things in place that help not only detect, but also prevent. Um, but the reality is that people find their way around that. Um, and that's And that's how it works. Um, so it will change for those that are trying to work on the uh, prevention side of things, either the police, um, tech companies, so on and so forth. But the reality is that it'll, it will have to continue to adapt because those who have a sexual preference to children or otherwise will find a way. I mean, it's, it's just so utterly frightening. And as, as an, ed, an educator and as a parent as well, something that I've always 
been an advocate for is the fact that we can't protect our children 24-7. We can't be there. And there has to be some form of independence for them. So what's really important is that we give them the tools to safeguard themselves. Do you think that that, that should be a focus as well? Oh, Vicky, you, you take the words out of my mouth. It is. it is. I mean, I'm not a parent and I don't pretend to know what it's like to be a parent. Okay. But I know that when I was a kid, my mum told me not to talk to strangers. She told me not to go uh, too far from the house where she couldn't see me. You know, these kind of things. And I appreciate times change. I understand that. Um, but the, the reality is that there is a way that strangers can now come into your house and into your child's bedroom through online means. And so parents, guardians, carers need to have an awareness as well to raise, to, to make the children aware, but also to spot the signs of if there's something not quite right. But you're right, the children, let's look at prevention as the, as the main thing here. How can we prevent it from happening? And that's letting the children, I use the term children under 18, you know, they're not kids' kids. Yeah. Whereas I do also advocate for the younger, the better for them to understand the that their their mind and body is their own and they have autonomy over that and they should feel comfortable in their personal surroundings and, and stuff like this. And this is what we do with some of our younger school workshops because they don't understand what human trafficking is, but it's all about understanding where their boundaries are, uh, even though uh, as young people. But when when they know what the dangers are and they can they can... Uh, see it happening all right then that's where they can actually put the brakes on and go hang on a minute I know because I've been taught or my teacher told me my sports coach told me uh, Vicky at the safeguarding company told me Tony at Illustro told me that when someone who I don't know sends me a friend request on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or sends me a DM on on whatever social media platform it might be, and I don't know them, that means I should not be sharing any of my personal information with them. I should not be sending them pictures. Um, if I'm not comfortable with it, I should go and tell someone who I trust offline, um, who can then maybe take some formal action, be that contact police, block the person on the social media channel, report the person on the social media channel, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, 100% uh, letting the, the children know what the risks are and then also really coming in with the parents as well to make sure that they understand that if they're – that this happens and for them – and, again, I'm not a parent, but I would suggest the best way is to have a conversation, just to have a conversation with your child or children about this. And to make, make it a safe environment, it's a discussion around a dinner table or whatever it might be for that family, is just to talk about it. Um, and so if your child has been approached or your child is in a position of where they have a sent an intimate image or however that might be, is that they should know that it's not their fault and they shouldn't feel guilty or worried about um, the consequences that 
their parents might shout at them or so on and so forth. They've got to have that safe environment to tell, you know, to tell their story, to say what's happened. Um, so it's it's really sort of an end to end approach, really. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd I'd still suggest focusing on the kids first, i.e., prevention. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you were talking about some of the the signs and symptoms that we could be looking out for, um, what are the the obviously there would be hundreds, and they they would um, they they come in different guises. But what would be the the most common signs and symptoms that we could be looking out for? Yeah, sure. So, I'll, and again, it'll depend on the individual. It'll depend on the nature of the exploitation and so on. So what, I mean, let, let's just list a few of the common ones in the UK, for example. Let's look at something like uh, criminal exploitation, all right? So you'll hear a lot of this term, uh, the county lines, uh, young, normally males, but girls as well, who are um, come from certain backgrounds where they feel that they're not part of the family structure um, and they will be targeted and at a young age, 13, 14, if not earlier, uh, recruited into a gang and then used to smuggle drugs across county lines. So that's generally what county lines. So look at the individual there. What's, what, what are the signs that, that that young boy or that young girl, how did it change for them? So that's one you think you could look at. So really change of behaviours. So I'll try and focus in on those that are more common to several different kinds of forms of exploitation. So if your child is normally of a certain character, personality, uh, loves life, can't wait to play with friends, always talks to you, um, is affectionate physically, emotionally, um, etc., you will know your child. A guardian will know their child or, or whatever. And if the change of behavior starts, so they're not as talkative, they don't want to express feelings in the same way, or they might do extreme feelings such as very angry. We see that a lot in young children um, and change of behaviors when they may suddenly, there's something happened. There may have been a sex exploitation or otherwise um, an abuse. Um, but at the same time, they might have fallen out with their friends. You know, so it could be, there's an acute and a chronic change. You know, if it's a couple of days of having a normal teenage tantrum mood swing, that's one thing. But if we're talking in a continuum, change of behavior in school, you know, they're suddenly getting into a lot of trouble. Um, when they want to go out on a weekend, they're, they're saying, I'm here and they're actually here. Many things that teenagers do, okay? But it's about, again, talking to them and just seeing what the, what the underlying issues are, whether it's just teenage hormones or whether it's actually there's something else going on for them that they haven't, for one reason or another, felt comfortable to talk about. Um, so those that's at a sort of at a one level. And then you could look at, you know, human trafficking in, in the bigger sense. And again, I'll keep I'll try and narrow it down as best as possible for, for example, the UK. So. You know, we hear about it uh, where car washes and garages and things like this, where predominantly foreign nationals will be there uh, looking very disheveled, um, look quite gaunt, as though they haven't eaten in a while. Um, every time you go there, it's the same two or three people working from 7 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night. 
Um, you know, it's these kind of indicators that someone's being exploited through forced labor in that context. Um, and then, you know, you, we, we could go wider and wider and wider to, to different kinds of uh, things. But gen generally, those are the, indica the main indicators that you look at in terms of the first context I gave for children, their change of behaviours. Thank you so much for, for that. That was that was really helpful. When you, you talk about um, maybe if, if you're you're concerned that there has been human trafficking that has happened, maybe you've gone and you've said that you've seen these signs and symptoms that say if you've taken your car to a car wash, you've gone to go and have your nails done or, or something like that. And you you are concerned that somebody has been a victim of human trafficking or, or modern slavery. What do you suggest that they do? Would it be to talk to that person or would that put them in greater danger or would you just report it? What would you, what would your advice be in that situation? Yeah, really important question, Vicky. I think um, I would, but it's easy for me to say because I'm an ex-cop. So if I felt like that, I would call the police. I'm not talking 999, but I would probably do a 101. I think that's still the, the local number in yeah, the UK. Yeah. Sorry, but, um, yeah, it is, yeah. And just say, look, this is, I've, I've been to have my nails done. I've been to the car wash. I've heard about this thing called modern slavery. It might be nothing. But everything I've learned about this, it looks, something is wrong. It just looks wrong. These people look exhausted. Um. In the nail bar, it might be whatever the indicators are there um, that, that's aroused suspicion of anyone. So I'd really advocate just to either a, anonymous on Crime Stoppers, if you're really not comfortable in calling the police directly, then that's fine. Crime Stoppers or, um, or just phone the police directly. The police want to know about this stuff. They really do. They want to try and stop it. Um, and I know that from first-hand experience and still the cops that we work with um, globally, they really are looking at this and trying to trying to help. Um, but they rely on, you know, members of the public. They really do. So if you see something, please do report it. Absolutely. And it's much better to report it and it come back that there's nothing, nothing amiss going no on here. Done. Exactly. No done, isn't it? yeah. It's much better and, and it's much better for your conscience as well. Yeah. So it's better to report it, like any safeguarding concern that you would have if it was about a child or even a vulnerable adult. This is exactly the same situation. It's much better yeah. to report something and nothing be amiss than not report it and something dreadful is happening. Completely agree. Yeah. What is the scale of this problem? Right. So if you're looking globally, the latest figures in the global report are around 50 million people are held in modern slavery globally at any one point in 2021. So the report came out in 2022. Let's put that in context. So when slavery, the chattel slavery that I mentioned, um, you know, 1800s, about 12 million people were recorded as being enslaved, taken from Africa to the Americas, recorded. You know, 50 million, that's what we're looking at here. By absolute number. And these figures are based on uh, some uh, algebraic formulas that are used to predict dark figures from the figures that we know. So obviously different countries and jurisdictions supply 
a certain amount of figures as best we can. And then because it's it's quite a it's a hidden in plain sight crime. Mm-hmm. But again, it's difficult sometimes to prove, convict, so on and so forth. And there's many things that are against us in identifying um, absolute correct data. However, people a lot smarter than me um, in terms of mathematics have done these these figures. And that's, a, you know, there's the UN and otherwise that, that do these reports. So when you're looking at 50 million, that's broken down uh, to around 20. 22, 23, I think it is, million in forced labour. So forced labour, very briefly, Vicky, when we look at the international definitions, um, it's about threat of penalty or menace, and it has to be volunteer. So you have to volunteer voluntarily do the work, and if it's not voluntary, it's one of the two parts of forced labour. The second part um, is threat of penalty or penalty. So is someone threatening you or will harm you if you don't do the work? So that's how many people, 22, 23 million people are in that situation at any one point globally. It's horrendous. Um, The other half, um, predominantly looking at forced marriage. Okay. So you're 20 million plus are held at any one point in 2021 in a situation of forced marriage where they've been forced into and cannot leave uh, for one reason or another, that that marriage. Um, And that's quite striking to hear from people like you or I who've been raised in the UK or raised in the US or Europe or parts of Europe and otherwise, is that that's complete, it's a complete cognitive dissonance for us to get our heads around. Hang on, that's, that's so out of my thing. But the rest of the world, it's very, very different. You know, that where these things are set, you know, couples are, you know, it's not for love, it's it's for money and, and so on and so forth. And a certain amount of, um, you know, a certain amount of dowry to a, to the uh, wife's um, family. And, and, and I, I picked one there, but there's many, many yeah. different, uh, you know, ways in which this is done. So it's, it's quite a, um, an alarming figure when you hear it like that. So that's globally. Um, and then UK wise, the Q, Q2, I think it was, report for the UK uh, was around 4,000 people have been identified in just Q2 in the UK. So by identified, first responders will, there's a mechanism in the UK called the National Referral Mechanism. Police, um, medical professionals um, and a certain amount of NGOs and otherwise are, are designated first responders. So if they find a potential victim, they refer them into this system. It collects data, obviously, and this data is published quarterly. So 4,000. So that's the highest it's ever been since the NRM started in 2009. So we're on par for 12, 13, 14,000 being identified in the UK. And that's only identified. You know, you've got to think about how many people will never ever hear about. Um, so that's the sort of figures there. Again, it's broken down, I think, around... 60 to 70% of those are male, mostly within forced labour. When it's by age, then um, it's around 54%, I think it was, for adults. The rest are children, criminally exploited, children under 18. So we're 17 and below. Um, 
and nationality, Albanians, um, Eritreans, and UK citizens, UK nationals. That's the top three. Now imagine how many countries there are in the world that we think, oh my goodness, imagine, imagine the figures there. Well, it's actually UK nationals are top three within the UK being trafficked because traffic doesn't have to be across international borders. That's smuggling, that's people smuggling. Human trafficking can be external, cross international, but also within a border. So lots of UK nationals being criminally exploited around the country. Um, so that's, that's what it looks like at the moment. And we're just finding more and more and more. So whether that's actually, we're not, there's not more, we're just being more, there's more awareness, more identification, so on and so forth. Um, but we don't know. And that's reality. And I strongly would suggest that with the current global economic, uh, sorry, global climate in terms of migration trends through conflict, uh, climate change, and, and a whole host of other you know, issues that we have um, at the moment globally, and economically moving forward with, with a likely downturn in the next couple of years. Um, you know, that's just going to drive migration even more, even more. And that will affect the, the amount of nationals, uh, sorry, internationals that we find in the UK. But still, out the top three is UK nationals. So we have that problem here with, with our own um, nationals who are being exploited. So it's a big, big problem. I mean, I'm just absolutely astounded with those figures. And you are quite right in what you say about how people automatically think that human trafficking means that they come from, they don't come from the UK. And I think that there will be many of our listeners that will be the same as, as me. And just astounded that, that such a, a small country in proportion to the, the whole world, we're in the top three. I mean, it, that's just absolutely astounding. Well, just to clarify, we're not in the top three by absolute number, but the UK nationals within the UK yeah. are one of the top three. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the reports are quite quite um, surprising in terms of, you know, where you would put the UK internationally by absolute number. Um, we were around the 100... 136,000 people, according to the Global Slavery Index, which came out 2017, 2018, that we had 136,000 by absolute number held in modern slavery in the UK at any one point. So it's it's very, very surprising to a lot of it and still surprises me. And I've been involved in this for 10 years. It, there were just no words. It's just unbelievable that this is going on and it, it goes back to what we were saying about the fact that if you see something just report it whether you're you you're right or you're not that doesn't matter because that number is astounding and that that funny feeling in your tummy that I always say whenever I'm talking about safeguarding you always follow that because it's there for a reason yeah so absolutely I mean, you may not be able to answer this this next question, Tony. Um, but is there a most common type of modern slavery in in the UK or globally? Uh, as in the nature of the exploitation? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, in the UK at the moment, statistics wise, 
particularly with children, we're looking at criminal exploitation. So that's the county lines. Uh, globally, again, looking at forced marriage, but sexual exploitation, particularly women, um, in terms of on, on and off street prostitution. Uh, we see a lot of, in the UK, Vietnamese in cannabis factories. So Vietnamese nationals will be brought over um, and cannabis factories will be uh, hidden all over the country. So, you you know, you conduct raids in these places and you've got huge cannabis grows and these, you know, Vietnamese nationals have been locked in there uh, with barely any food and so on and so forth. So that's that's quite a big one that we find quite a lot, I suspect, because it's quite high. It's harder to hide because of the extent and, and size of these places. Um, but in, the, in all due respect to all the reports and everything else, I... I'm convinced through the work that I do and see is that the real one is child sexual exploitation. Um, children do not know what abuse is. If they are being abused, particularly young kids, they don't know. So they don't report it. They don't know how to report it. They don't know who to report it to. They just trust the abuser because what we do see and the reports suggest is that normally it was it is abuse is within a situation where the trust already exists with the child and and the abuser so that might be a parent so interfamiliar or a uncle auntie whatever it might be and it's also um you know teacher uh, sports coach um religious um leader these sort of things where this, where the child has already developed this relationship of trust with them or, or vice versa. And that's where abuse, you know, can be. Now, with the advent of technology and even more so now with as an indirect result of COVID is that what it did was naturally upskill many more people on how to interact, engage with people online. So that in itself is not bad. That's a good thing. It's, it allows you, particularly families that are, um, you know, at other ends of the earth and so on and so forth. It's changed our working culture. It's changed many things. And, and many of those things will be for benefits. But like most things, there is also those who um, use, you know, technology or otherwise to the to advantage of them and their agenda is not... Um, something that you or I or anyone else probably listening is would would advocate for. So for those who uh, have a um, predisposition to children can now use tech to get inside the door, the bedroom. Um, and I think that's really something that I know with the work that I do, our online investigations that, that we do with, with police forces and so on, in, in, in other countries, and this isn't even in the UK, this is this is many other countries, is that the amount of sex, child sexual exploitation material, so videos, images, so on and so forth, that are being produced, um, stored, advertised through social media, um, and then disseminated or downloaded from all over the world um, is just huge. Um, so... I, in answer to your question, I'm very much, I, I, it would take some convincing for me that it's the biggest one is not child sexual exploitation. Yeah. Um, I, 
honestly, Tony, you've just absolutely astounded me with all of the information that you've given and I can't thank you enough for coming on today and speaking to us and helping us to understand the gravitas of the of the issue that's at hand. Again, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Tony, and the work that you're doing, how could uh, how could they get in touch with you? 100%. So our website is www.illustroconsultancy.co.uk. Uh, under the hashtag Let's Talk Modern Slavery for Facebook, Twitter, uh, and LinkedIn as well. So please uh, don't ever hesitate. Even if you've just got a question, um, we're more than happy to help. Um, we, we focus in on doing a lot of school workshops. We do school workshops for free um, in the UK, Serbia, Nigeria, and we're just about to start in Kenya. So we're trying to get out to uh, everyone we can. Um, we do an hour's school workshop, uh, online or in person. Uh, but we're also now doing parent workshops um, and have a look at our social media for our next parent workshop coming up. Um, we do them regularly, so we just we just want to help. You know, we just want to raise awareness on this. And uh, so, if anyone has a question, we'd be more than happy to answer. That's fantastic, and we'll make sure that we put all of your links in the um, show notes bio as well, so that you'll you'll find all the information that you need um, in those. Thank you again, Tony, for coming on and speaking to us today. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure's mine, Vicky. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe and feel free to rate us using whichever podcast provider you use.